What an annoying question, right? <laughs> what will you leave in order to follow? Don't you love a sermon that starts off making you feel guilty? For those of you who don't feel guilty, congratulations. Um, if it makes you feel any better, I'm right there with you. And I, as I saw this video this week, it, it moved me, but it, it made me kind of assess in myself, I don't, I don't want to leave anything. What would you leave? What's the hardest thing in your life now for you to leave today? Most of the time, you can answer that question actually pretty quickly. <clears throat> they come to mind fairly quickly. My top two, there are many more, obviously, but my top two are probably my hopes and my dreams for my family and my own comfort and ease. <laughs> uh, success and popularity were, were up there for me, so if those are yours, no judgment here. I, I get it. Um, not all bad things. But I know myself well enough to know that I regularly tell Jesus, and I don't say this out loud to him, but you know what I mean. I regularly tell Jesus, I'll follow you as long as you keep your hands off my family and you keep your hands off my comfort. I'll follow you, Jesus, as long as I can take these things with me. What would be the hardest thing for you? And by leave, I don't mean like leave and go to Africa or something like that or abandon your family, so don't get excited. Um, I don't even necessarily, yeah, that was, that was supposed to be funny. Um, I, I don't even necessarily mean getting rid of anything. More like what's the hardest thing for you to hand over control of in your life? So here's what we're going to learn from Matthew this morning. He shows us what Jesus really wants, what it, what it means to really follow him. And following means leaving. Following means leaving. You have to leave in order to follow. And the hardest thing for you to leave, whatever that is for you, is exactly the thing that Jesus wants from you the most. Now, we're not talking about earning our salvation. I'm not talking about being a good enough person so that God will accept you. That's not the gospel we follow at all. But the definition of the Christian life, we will see in Matthew's gospel, and all the gospels for that matter, over and over and over again, is not simply believing that God exists. It's not nodding our heads to a certain set of doctrines. It's not church attendance or being a nice person. It's following Jesus. It's saying no to me and yes to him. Imperfectly, of course, we stumbling along, and yet you have to leave in order to follow your old values, your identity, your plans for all the things that you're terrified to give to him. This is why we've called this section of Matthew's gospel the upside-down kingdom as we walk through his gospel. Jesus throws everything on its head, and we'll see this today as he calls his first followers in the text we just read. If you haven't yet turned there, you can do that now. Matthew chapter 4. Uh, it's the first book in the New Testament uh, in your Bibles, or it's the book called Matthew on your Bible app. You just click that one. Um, following means leaving. And you can't miss it in the story. It's, it's unavoidable. This morning, I, really what I want to do is, as, we, as we walk through the story is draw out three observations, three implications of what it means to follow Jesus. So if you've been with us the last few weeks, even uh, kind of going back into the, before the new year, we did, we've been in the, the Gospel of Matthew and this um, biography of Jesus. And we started uh, with stories about his birth, how he was born, his baptism as an adult, who's probably about 30 years old, uh, when, uh, when he was baptized. His temptation in the wilderness is, is what Kenny talked about last week, ending with really Jesus beginning his ministry as an itinerant preacher. That's where we are now. 
So pick up in that story. Now Jesus is walking. He's just, got, he's just gotten through the temptation. He's walking by the Sea of Galilee in Israel. And it's the, the kind of the picture is it's like the Son of God. He's just defeated Satan's temptation. He's, now he's got a help wanted sign around his neck. He's, he's looking for people to follow him. And Jesus sees, uh, he's, or I'm sorry, before, he's, he's walking uh, by the Sea of Galilee, which is a huge lake. It's not really a sea, it's a lake, 64 square miles. It's also about 700 feet below sea level, uh, so which is subject to pretty nasty storms as a, resu- as a result of that. And you'll see that, the stories about storms uh, later in Matthew's gospel. It would have been a, a heavily fished lake. Uh, provi- it provided food for the whole region in many ways. And Jesus, he's walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he sees two brothers from a town we know uh, from the other gospels. It's just north of the sea called Bethsaida, which literally means house of fish, or we would call it Fishtown, or from Fishtown. And you can probably guess what the backbone industry of Fishtown was. Uh, Their names were Simon, later called Peter, and Andrew. Now, according to the book of John, they have already had uh, Peter and Andrew some uh, interaction with Jesus. Okay, they've they've heard his elevator speech, they've, they've seen a few miracles, they knew he was someone special, but they'd gone back to their normal lives. They hadn't really yet committed to following him, and Jesus sees them doing the same thing their father had done and that his father had done and his father had done, what their neighbors do, what their classmates do, the only thing they knew, the thing that the people of Fishtown are really, really good at, fishing. Now, don't picture a, you know, a, a rod and a line like this fishing, okay? This isn't recreational fishing they're doing. This is commercial fishing. So picture instead a round net about 25 feet across, weighted down at the edges, and they would throw it out of the boat, let it sink, and then scoop it up to see what they got. This is what they are doing when Jesus says to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, which is a weird enough thing to say. (laughs) Even weirder still is the response Matthew gives. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Now, This is not typically how rabbis, Jesus is a rabbi, worked back then. If you wanted to follow a rabbi, you, the student, approached him with your, basically what amounted to your resume, and said, I want to follow you. Will you allow me to follow you? A rabbi would not go out looking for his own entourage. So again, Jesus is upside down here. And and, and now, Peter and Andrew are with Jesus. They're walking together. Jesus sees another set of brothers It's almost like he's planned this out. He's looking for them, James and John, in a boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. Now, about 30 years ago, archaeologists actually discovered the remains of a fishing boat from the Sea of Galilee dating back to the first century, dating back to this story. It's estimated to be about 27 feet long, with room for about 15 workers uh, maximum. They, They built a smaller replica just to see what it would have looked like uh, around this time, as best we can tell. And Mark tells us in his gospel that there were also hired workers with James and John during this encounter. And sometimes we think uh, of the disciples as these kind of backwater rednecks from Galilee who had nothing better to do than to follow Jesus. But, but at least James and John, they're, they're, they're co-owners of a, of a thriving small business. That's the picture we get of them. They've got overheads, they've got revenues and employees they need to take care of. And Jesus calls out to them, And what does Matthew tell us? The exact same thing happens. Immediately, they leave their boat and their father, and they followed him. Now, 
we have to remember the reason Matthew is telling the story and telling it the way that he does. Yes, he's telling a story of what actually happened, like any good historian, but also like any good historian, he has a purpose for telling us the story. There's a lesson here, there's a reason. Now keep in mind, Matthew's writing this probably 20 to 30 years after the resurrection. People are still very intrigued by Jesus, uh, and more than that, many still are, are, are following him. And Matthew tells the story to show us this is still what it looks like to follow him. This is still what it looks like. Even though Jesus is not physically calling you to leave your nets today, he is asking you to leave in order to follow, which really leads us to our first observation from the story. What exactly are we supposed to leave to follow Jesus? And Matthew will teach us everything. What do we leave? Everything. Jesus wants it all. And it's, it's easy for us to skip over the audacity of what Jesus is asking of these early disciples. We've heard the story so much or we're just so culturally distant from it uh, in time and, and, and culture, we just expect the disciples to follow Jesus. I mean, they're just fishermen, right? It's like, it can't be that good of a job. Of course they're going to jump at this opportunity. But you have to remember for Simon and Andrew and for James and John, this is the only life they had ever known. It's the only life their family had ever known. It was safe. It was comfortable. It's what they wanted. It's what they grew up practicing. It's what their families wanted from them. It's what their spouses expected of them. Was it glamorous? No, but there were way worse ways to make a living in the first century. You know, besides the occasional drought or disease, there were always fish in the lake, and people were always hungry. It's a pretty good business model, right? So when Matthew points out to us twice in a row, immediately they left their nets, they left their father. This is everything for them, everything. It's an incredible act of faith and trust. It's like quitting your job with no prospects. It's moving to another state with no plans whatsoever. It's saying to God, God, I trust you with my kids and my marriage and my reputation and my health and my finances. It's saying no to your parents and their plan for you in a traditional culture. We, we, we're not in a traditional culture, so sometimes we miss this. When it says that James and John left their father, it's not so much that they stopped having a relationship with him, but they said no to his plan for their life. Said, Zebedee has expectations for them to take over this business, and they're saying no to their father, which it, this is a scandalous thing to do in a first century Jewish society. And Peter even reminds Jesus later in Matthew chapter 19 of the risk he and others have taken in following. He says, Jesus, we left everything to follow you. It's easy to miss just how terrifying a decision this really would have been for these guys. This is their whole world. Now, I hasten to add, Matthew is not telling us that to follow Jesus, all we need to do is quit our jobs and become missionaries or pastors or whatever. That's a unique calling of the disciples. And by the time Matthew wrote this gospel, thousands more were following Jesus, and they kept fishing or farming or whatevering, but with a new master, with a new paradigm, with a new way of life. And it was not easy for them in a Jewish or Roman society, even to stay in their hometown and to keep doing what they'd always doing. In some ways, that might have been harder because back then people thought you were crazy if you followed Jesus. They thought you were a heretic if you followed Jesus. They may have even thought you were an insurrectionist, you were an enemy to the state if you followed Jesus. Okay, the point is following means leaving for everyone. And for many of us, there are way harder things to leave behind than a job, or a city, or familial obligation, or whatever it is. 
there are things in our lives that are much, much harder to trust to Him. You're probably already thinking about it, so I'll just say it out loud. What are you holding back from Him? What are you holding back? Ambition, reputation, sexuality, money, security. Okay, that list could go on and on. What is it for you? Write it down. It's probably not hard to come to mind. And I know this isn't easy, and and we won't do this perfectly, but whatever it is in your life that terrifies you the most to let go of, that is exactly what Jesus wants from you. And if I take the Bible seriously, that thing that I can't let go of is also the thing in my life that can shipwreck my whole life if I don't hand it over. Whatever I am unwilling to give to Jesus, to learn from him, to live out his design, to submit to him, it could, it could easily destroy me. Even the most virtuous and mature and wise people that you've known have ruined their lives over this one thing that they could not hand over. And frankly, this, this, what I'm talking about, is what makes Christianity so hard. It's not that these stories are too unbelievable. It's not the resurrection, the virgin birth. It's not the supernatural, at least not for me. It's, it's that I don't want to give him everything. I don't want to do that. And to take him seriously, to read him at face value, that's exactly what I'm supposed to do. But make no mistake, this should be hard. Following Jesus is good. But the story shows us that it's also hard. And I I love the way, here's why that's important. I, I love the way Pastor Sam Albury puts this in his book on his own journey of following Jesus, and he's written a lot about his experience of of same-sex attraction and and how he's reconciled that with his faith as a pastor. And he says in his book, it's so good, ever since I have been open about my own experiences of same-sex attraction, a number of Christians have said something like this, the gospel must be harder for you than it is for me, as though I have more to give up than they do. But the fact is that the gospel demands everything of all of us. If someone thinks the gospel has somehow slotted into their life quite easily without causing any major adjustments to their lifestyle or aspirations, it is likely that they have not really started following Jesus at all. If you're out there and you're considering Christianity, you're not yet a Christian, but you're you're thinking about it, you're considering it, um, but it feels like it might be too hard to give Jesus everything, that is a great place to be in. That means you're taking this seriously. It's worth it, I assure you, keep going. That's a good sign. If you're a Christian out there and, you're, and following him isn't that hard for you, you're probably not doing it right. So what must we leave in order to follow him better? We have to leave something to follow him. But it isn't just all that Jesus wants from us. It's not everything. It's not just everything. It's right now. It's everything, and it's right now. Jesus wants us now, not later, not when things slow down, not when we get a better handle on our lives, not when we um, get a, a more free time, not after we've had our fun. Matthew shows us exactly how this works. When do the disciples respond to Jesus' call? What's the word? Immediately, immediately, immediately. He uses this word. It may be easy to talk ourselves into the give it all to Jesus part as long as we can do it tomorrow and not today. This is an age-old tactic with Jesus. Uh, St. Augustine is a church father. 
one of the most influential church fathers in, in Western church history. He's written volumes, brilliant things, brilliant person. Here's what he's most famous for. Here's his most famous prayer. Lord, give me chastity and self-control, but not yet. <laughs> Here's the thing. This discipleship thing is not a negotiation. Jesus is calling you right now to follow him. You can either obey or disobey. You cannot bargain. Jesus' timeline for obedience is always right now. Right now. Okay, step back. Can you tell that I hated writing the sermon this week yet? Is that obvious? A few nods. Okay, good. Great. Um, this is hard. I get it. This is hard. This is hard for me. But let's keep going. So what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? And be honest with yourself, because only you know the lies you tell yourself. So you've got to do this. What, what are you waiting for? Let me just prime the pump. Maybe some of these sound familiar. I'll spend more time at home. I know I'm neglecting my family. I know that's not what God wants. Right after I get this promotion, and then it'll all clear up. It'll all make sense then. God, I'll start spending time with you. I know I've been ignoring you just as soon as the kids start school, right? And I get some sleep. We'll find a place to serve and a place to go deeper here, maybe a community group once life calms down, but it's, just, it's too hard right now. We'll confess that sin and I'll ask for help. That one that's secretly destroying my life just as soon as the timing is right. Timing's not right. I'll be generous. We'll, we, we'll give more. We'll, we'll serve more. We'll think about how God's wired us, where we can use that. Uh, once I get that next raise and I get a little more margin, then I'll, I'll figure that out. I'll believe in Jesus just as soon as I get a little more proof. I just need a little more, and then I'll follow him. The time is always right now. There is not enough margin or money or time or proof in the world to make obedience easy. There's not. So stop waiting for it. It's not coming. I'll follow Jesus, fine, but later. You won't, and I won't. It's now or never. It's no wonder he wants us now, though, because when we put him off again and again and again, we are missing out now on the good life he has for us. He wants everything, and he wants it right now, but not just for your sake and not just for my sake, but for everybody's sake. Last point, Jesus wants us for others. It's so clear in this story that that's what he's really after with these disciples. It's interesting to me that of all the selling points he could have pitched to these fishermen to f come follow him, Jesus could have said, follow me and you'll, I'll make you joyful. Follow me and I'll make you holy. Follow me and I'll give you what you really need. All of these, by the way, are true. <laughs> but it's not the point of Jesus' call here. What is it? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I won't put you in a community of people who serve one another, who love each other, and call one another to leave in order to follow and invite others to do the same. This kingdom of God thing that you're going to hear a lot about in the course of Matthew, kingdom of heaven, is a community project. And you see it immediately in the next story as they, as they all head out together in, in, on ministry throughout all of Galilee. And Jesus shows us what this looks like to, to be fishers of men. He proclaims the good news of his kingdom with his mouth, and he heals anybody and everybody who comes to him. And so fishing for men always includes both of these things. It's not enough to tell people Jesus loves them. You've got to show them. 
It's not enough to show them. You got to tell them. It's a both and. So who are you fishing for? I know it's a cheesy question. I don't mean anything demeaning by it. I'm picking up on this metaphor. It's what Jesus says. So if you're his follower, who are you fishing for in your life? Who is drawn to Jesus because of the words you say and the life you live? I'm not talking about scheming and manipulating people. I'm not talking about forcing it with people or being weird with them. But who do you love enough to show them Jesus? Who are you praying for, for that conversation, for that interaction? Kids, who are the lonely kids that you can play with? You, you probably know who they are. What neighbor needs help? What family member or coworker needs encouragement? Do these things because they're good things. These are things Jesus would have done as well as proclaim the good news. That may be as simple as telling your story, how you came to follow. It may even just be telling someone you're a Christian. Maybe a lot, there are many people in your life who don't know, even know that. Maybe it's praying with someone who's hurting, inviting them to church. You've left everything to follow Jesus, presumably for a good reason. Don't you want other people to come with you? I think sometimes this is so hard for us because we've, got, we've forgotten the simple beauty and joy of introducing people to Jesus. We're so afraid to give him everything we've got, we can't imagine telling someone else to do the same thing. And perhaps more than that, we are afraid it might cost us something. Let's be honest, we're afraid. If I tell them about Jesus, I'll lose their respect. They'll think I'm crazy. They won't consider me for that job or that promotion or that position. They won't want to be my friend. They won't want to date me, whatever it is. We hesitate to leave these things behind. I needed this this week. I was struck by a story that our ministry partner, Elam, shared with me while they were here in Kansas City a few weeks ago. Elam, if you don't know, equips pastors and leaders in Iran to follow Jesus, to train others to follow Jesus, and to build his church uh, in Iran. It's an incredible ministry that we get privileged to partner with. And they have this on their website. This is Ladan's story, and I want us to hear it, to watch it together. So please watch. Simon and Andrew, James and John, Ladan, all of them left everything to follow Jesus, and it cost them everything. Their comfort, their safety, and for some of them, their very lives. And, and we've got to ask, before we finish, we've got to ask, why would someone do this? Why would anyone follow Jesus? Why would we give him everything and dedicate our lives to sharing his message, even when it's illegal? Even when it can land you in jail, why do people do this? And, and, and here's, here's where Matthew will take us over the next weeks and months. He'll answer that question. It's because Jesus is the only God whose basic requirement is not go and do, but come and follow. See the difference? Jesus, when he chooses his disciples, his followers, he, he doesn't ask for a resume. He goes not to the holy people, the educated, the successful people of the time. He goes out and he finds some fishermen and he changes the world with them. And he doesn't say, clean up your life and get it all together and then you can come to me. Then you can represent me. Then you can talk about me. Then you can share me. He says to them and to Ladon and to you and to me, come and follow me now. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, 
with what you struggle with, and I will teach you what it is to live the good life, what life is really about. And he never asks us to go somewhere where he is not, or where he has not already gone, what he has not already done. He's not behind us as we go out and face hardship and pain and loss. He's the God who is out ahead, calling us to follow where he goes. And it's because Jesus is the only God who left everything for you and for me. Because if Matthew is right, and Jesus is the cosmic king come down from heaven to save us from our sins, then Jesus left the comfort the security, the beauty, the safety of heaven, to be born a man and die a sinner's death. How can he ask us for everything to follow him because he's already given everything to you? He's already done it. This gospel that we're talking about, it'll ruin your life. (laughs) I promise you. you. It will ruin your life. But what you get in return a God like this, a promise like this, forgiveness like this, maybe the disciples aren't so crazy after all. Maybe obedience isn't such a bad idea. Maybe it makes sense why Peter, this fisherman that we've met in this story, years later, when things get hard with Jesus and he looks at his disciples and he looks at Peter and he says, will you leave me too? Peter replies, he looks around And he says to Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. Let's pray. Father, we hold on to so much. We carry so much baggage with us when only one thing is required, to follow you. By your mercy this week, help us to see what is holding us back from you, the fears, the ambitions, the dreams, and even the good things that we cling to instead of you. Help us to see what holds us back. Give us the strength to hand them over to you now. In your son, we have so much more than anything those empty idols can give us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.